Hello, welcome to another episode of the KNGM podcast. Our SoundCloud subscription auto-renewed and we decided it was time to make another episode. I'm your host, Chris. And I am your other host, Anastasios. And welcome back. And let's get into the episode. But first, before we do anything else, what what have have you you been been up to? Again, welcome back to another episode. Long time no see. It's been quite some time since the last episode and a ton of things have happened. It's been several months. Before we make a small sum up of what happened, I just like to mention that today I came home from a walk, tried to open my computer and it was dead. After a lot of surgery, I have concluded that most probably is the motherboard that is dead. I have ordered one, I really hope it's that, and it hasn't affected any other components, especially the graphics card, because <laughs> because the graphics card will cost at this moment about twice as much as the, the rest of a computer. Anyway, hopefully I will have a new motherboard in a couple of days, and I will have a working computer. Now I'm using some Archaeotech, a very old laptop. Hopefully, it will last until we finish recording. But anyway, Anastasios, what about you? Well, the big news is that I have finished my master's. Congratulations! I presented my thesis on February and I am now a master of my science. Which science is that? Computer science and engineering. Any news that you want to share? <laughs> yeah, I have some. I actually... I'm continuing my master's degree. I have at least one semester. Apart from that, I also have a summer school to attend. This is a new experience. I haven't had the summer school in quite some time. I mean, the last summer school I attended was when I was fairly young and was studying... English. But anyway, I have a job now, <laughs> or something close to a job. I'm working in the lab of the university I'm attending. Theoretically, I am a research associate. I, I believe this is my title. And what I do is a ton of stuff, from organizing various events for the lab, and actually doing uh, research. The contract says I started in July, uh, I started a bit la- earlier, but it's fun. And everyone is cool. I- I'll say cool. I haven't met any any weird colleagues so far. On the other hand, I don't have a job, but I did start streaming on Twitch. For now I'm streaming Fallout New Vegas, but uh, we might expand on some other stuff. Don't forget that you're also streaming RimWorld as well, and we are great fans of you making couches out of human leather that you use them to do therapy for the people that killed the humans and turned them into couches. (laughs) Yep, classic RimWorld atrocities. (laughs) And also, don't forget to mention that your username is AnastasiosHJW on Twitch. Yep. Don't forget to follow. What times do you usually stream? Usually I stream uh, at 8 a.m. GMT or whatever time that translates to for your own time zone. I have been steadily getting more minis. Warhammer minis, right? Yeah, 
I mean, <laughs> uh, this is uh, the core part of the hobby of uh, miniature wargaming. I am. <laughs> this is the part where you hoard minis and see how many minis you have to paint. I started last summer with Indomitus. Well, actually, I had gotten a few minis before that, but it all started with Indomitus. And then I got a couple more boxes, and then a couple more boxes, and now I have also gotten into Age of Sigmar, because they look more beautiful. <laughs> Seriously, I got the Indomitus, then I got an Eradication Legion, then I got uh, Piety in Pain, and then I was like, hmm, this Soul Wars box looks interesting. And I got that as well. And a few more things here and there. And now there is no escape. Of course there is no escape. I mean, I already have a shelf full of boxes. But apart from miniature wargaming, we have also gotten into a bit of uh, tabletop gaming. Specifically, we got into Pandemic Season 2, because, well, it's a pandemic. And lately we also started Terraforming Mars. We only played a single game, well, more of a test to learn the rules than an actual game, but I really like how it's played. And also I had the idea of trying to do a live stream of us playing Terraforming Mars. I think we can make it work. One th thing I want to mention though is that we played two rounds because we were on a terrace and there was no light after sundown. <laughs> so we had to quit due to extremely difficult situations. But also I think we didn't shuffle the cards very well. And we started playing with some, like... Stupidly expensive. Yeah, I mean, we started with 42 million and we had cards that costed 25, 26. At one point I had a 30-something. I was thinking, there's no way everything costs that much. And suddenly we started drawing cards that costed, like, 10, 6. 5, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we need to shuffle better next time. I also want to mention that I was very pleasantly surprised that the tokens, the plastic tokens, were actually in Ziploc bags. Yeah, for some reason you found that very exciting. Yeah, I was very excited. I think mostly because I, I don't really own big uh, tabletop games. I only own these two. And the smaller ones I have used to come in uh, plastic bags that you had to tear them to get them out. And you didn't have any space to put them afterwards. But yeah, I was very surprised. And I like it a lot. And they were very neatly packed as well. Because there were in different Ziploc bags. And then all of them were in one big Ziploc bag. And I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah, besides our news, let's talk about a few other news of coming from the tabletop uh, area. So, Anastasios, I think we have to mention the Call of Cthulhu Kickstarter. I mean, everyone's talking about it. <laughs> There's a ton of hype about it, so why not? At the moment of recording, it still has 20 days to go and it's massively over the goal. <laughs> 
How much? How much? Tell me. Right now I'm looking at 217,766 euros with a goal of 16,856. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's only 200,000 euros over. Yeah, look, it has 20 days to go. So think about this. From what I understand, there are two major groups of backers. The first ones that back in the first few days and the end days ones that back at the end of the Kickstarter. So you could easily see at least... Uh, 50,000 euros more. Yeah. Maybe? I don't know. I mean, it's also... Could you consider this a niche RPG? I don't think so. So you can't really say that anyone who wanted to back it has already backed it. Yeah, I mean, niche in the sense that in terms of theme, you could say that. But it's definitely not something like a very unknown, underground sort of RPG. Most people who are somewhat familiar with tabletop RPGs, they probably know Call of Cthulhu. But consider this. If my brain doesn't deceive me, I think the latest Roll20 stats said that Call of Cthulhu was in second or third place of the games played in Roll20. That's interesting. I think it also surpassed Pathfinder. Yeah, it usually was 5th uh, edition and then Pathfinder. And now it's like, if I remember correctly, I don't have any stats right now. As I said, I'm in an archaeotech laptop. I think it was 5th edition and then Call of Cthulhu. So it's not exactly niche. It's actually gaining traction and maybe that's why Chaosium decided to make this Kickstarter. It's not so, That's not bad. We need to have diversity in games in the RPG community. 5th edition has taken over by storm the last uh, 5 or 6 years. And the fact that more people are finding out that there are more interesting RPGs apart D&D uh, uh, &D is very important. Completely agree. N not because I don't like D&D. Uh, &D. I mean, my main RPG is 5th edition. I don't have any issues with it. But it's nice to have diversity and it's nice to have options. And the more diversity and options, the more people create. And I find this the most important. Yeah, well, it's expected because D&D is like high fantasy. And yeah, of course, you can try and turn it into a horror or a low fantasy or something other. But why try to butcher a game and add Frankenstein parts onto it when you can just find some other system that is tailor-made for what you're looking for? Call of Cthulhu is like early 20th century, I think late 19th, that sort of era. And it's a particular type of horror with its own special mechanics, so obviously if you want to play that type of game you're going to play Call of Cthulhu or some other uh, system specifically made for horror. Not that, again, D&D can't do that, but there are obviously better options, mechanics. Exactly. I think horror requires, apart from the mindset of both the players and the GM, it also requires a few mechanics that help facilitate this theme, this flavor. So, yeah, Call of Cthulhu Kickstarter, definitely check it out if you are interested. I mean, I'm considering biting it. Well, now that I had to replace my motherboard, I, I don't know if I have the funds, but <laughs> I was considering backing it.
Yep, but moving on, something also quite exciting, uh, Magic the Gathering. There is a new set coming out very soon. If you play Magic, you obviously already know it. If you don't, the set is centered entirely around Dungeons and Dragons. It's called Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, and it has various characters and also mechanics, in a sense, inspired by Dungeons and Dragons. You have characters like uh, Drizzt, Urden, Lolth, also, what's his name, the barbarian that has a space hamster. <laughs> I remember that the hamster is named Boo, and he has haste and trample, and he's also a one-one, and his flavor text is go for the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is... <laughs> the go for the eyes uh, catchphrase is Boo goes for the eyes. Anyway, uh, it has some interesting mechanics because essentially what you're doing is there is a new type of card called dungeon and uh, every dungeon has some rooms and uh, some cards have the ability that says venture into the dungeon and uh, when that ability is activated you either move one room forward in the dungeon or you enter the first room if you are not already in one and each room obviously has its own effect like scry one or draw a card or something like that and the interesting thing is that you can do this multiple times you can go through a dungeon multiple times so when you finish it it doesn't go away you can re-enter it the next time you venture into the dungeon so in a sense it's like infinite value but uh, obviously there are some other opportunity costs and also another mechanic is that several cards make you roll a d20 and depending on the outcome you get a bonus like uh, if you roll from 1 to 10 it gets a plan plus 1 power uh, 11 to 19 plus 2 power and on a 20 I don't remember it has some extra special effect like a critical hit by the way there are new enchantments called classes so you have class rogue, class sorcerer, class warlock. For each class in 5th edition, you get a new enchantment. Ooh. And you can level those up. If I remember correctly, level up is a mechanic that already existed. Yes, yes. Here you have it again. And every time you level it up, you gain a new bonus. Either a one-off ability, like draw a card, or a permanent bonus. Because I remember specifically the third level sorcerer essentially has storm on every spell you cast <laughs> every spell you cast it is copied for every other spell you cast this turn uh. and those enchantments are not legendary so you can have four of them at the same time go ham should we go to the pre-release do you think we should go when is it i think the pre-release is at 16 of july I mean, if I remember correctly, the local game store had a poll where we could choose. If it's on the 16th, I really can't attend due to the summer school. If it's on Saturday, I may be able to. And you're kinda making me wanna go. I want those sweet, juicy cards. Not that I haven't opened some packs lately. Haha! <laughs> I managed to open the pack hoard, the booster hoard. And I made a video with the help of Nicole. I haven't edited it yet, and now I can because I don't have a computer once more. But hopefully I'll get to it. It's going to be a long video because it's a hundred packs and I think we had to record for two hours. Nice. 
And speaking of videos, we were also thinking of making a video about the Adventures in the Forgotten Realms set. You know, like a bit more detail about not exactly the mechanics or which cards are good, which cards are but how it connects to Dungeons and Dragons, both in terms of mechanics and maybe a bit lore. Because it has some fun stuff and I think it would be nice. We'll see about it. Yeah, I mean, it's a nice bridge between MTG fans and D&D fans. What else we got? The next edition of Age of Sigmar, the miniatures war game, has been announced. There has been a pre-order for the starter set. It's called Age of Sigmar Dominion. And I pre-ordered it. <laughs> I'm not very proud of myself about my... What does it uh, contain? Uh, it contains a, a bunch of stuff. It contains... Let's see. First of all, the two armies are orcs versus how do you call those people? Stormcast Eternals. I don't remember the name of the names of the armies, of course. I just know they are shiny people versus orc people. <laughs> and it also has core rulebook, if I remember correctly, and a leaflet about the war, the, yeah, the war, the lore-wise, a war between those factions takes place, I believe, and some cards, I think they're called War Scrolls, don't quote me on that, I just like the lore of Age of Sigmar and how pretty the miniatures look, I don't know any of the rules. Very well. So, in comparison with Warhammer 40k Indomitus, it's pretty much the same stuff. The core rulebook, a leaflet about some stuff about a conflict and the miniatures. And that's all I have. I haven't received it yet. I don't know. I think I should ask at the local game store what's the update on the box. I mean, I think I pre-ordered it. No, I didn't pre-order it. I asked if I could pre-order it and the owner told me, you're late, but I will have an extra box. If everything goes fine and we don't get cut off like they did with uh, Indomitus and other boxes, I'll keep it for you. So actually I need to check what's going on with that. Okay, anyway, that's it for news, I think, for at least for the major ones. And let's move on to our main topic of the day. Shall we? Of course, of course. So, I have a thing for go bugs, for bug breakdowns and stuff, and this whole category of what's in my bug. And I kind of had the question, what do I usually bring to a session? Apart from when I forget stuff. <laughs> so, I was questioning this. As a GM, I was wondering, what do I bring? But then I went a bit further and thought, what do I bring as a player? Nicole says I bring everything, but it's not true. I bring a ton of stuff, but I, but I don't bring everything. It's almost everything. But I'm trying to organize a bit better, so maybe this episode will help me be a bit more organized and minimalistic, hopefully. Now, we need to make some notes before we move on with what we discussed about uh, what we bring. First of all, we're talking about uh, IRL sessions, not online ones, because in that case, you're at your home and you have everything at your disposal. Plus, you don't need stuff 
because you can use digital replacements. So instead of miniatures, if you're using Roll20 or what do you call it? Roll, it's a new platform. Or remind me the last one, Anastasios. Fantasy Grounds. Yeah, that one. So you don't really need a ton of stuff if you're using those platforms. Another note we need to make is that this is about the material components. Yeah, because you asked it on Twitter as well, what you bring with you to a session and some people ask like imagination or willingness or energy or something like that. For now, we're just talking about the physical stuff. Yeah, the material components. And all of those answers were actually pretty good. I liked one that said the right attitude, which is correct. It's just that we will cover the etiquette of the table in another episode, probably, if you want to. So this is these are the notes you, you need to take into consideration before uh, moving on to the rest of the podcast. Also, oh, I have to note that uh, we're planning on making these, these uh, checklists as PDFs. Hopefully you will find them in a link down below in the description, if I have my computer to make it. But we'll see. Another note before we begin is that a lot of these things that we're going to mention can be all of them substituted with a laptop or a tablet or a phone or something like that. So you can have them in a digital form. Again, we're not talking about online play, but bringing with you to the table, let's say a laptop. Personally, I'm a big fan of that. I do that. I bring my laptop with me whenever we play because I find it much easier, but a lot of people, a lot of groups find that it's not a very good idea because people get distracted, they start browsing Twitter or YouTube or whatever. Yeah, this solution requires discipline from the players and the GM, and it's not for every group. We'll get back to that every time we talk about a specific thing that could be digital. Yeah, I usually go for a mix. I do some uh, digital notes and digital files, but I also have a lot of physical stuff with me. You're on the more digital side. But finally, let's move to the checklist. So, I'll start (laughs) with an easy one. In uh, no specific order, we have pencils. (laughs) Well, two notes. I prefer using pencils and I tell that to every person that plays with me. Use pencils, not pens. Pens are for noobs. Because you really have to, if you're using a character sheet, a physical character sheet, you need to change stuff. And with a pen, this gets difficult. Also, as a GM, I bring extra pencils with me because players may forget to bring a pencil with them or we may have a new player. And when I have a new player in my table, I don't ask anything from them. I usually just ask them, check out the PHB, look at the pictures, look, flip through the book, look what you like, and we'll figure something out. I don't need more than that from you. Oh, and mechanical pencils, (laughs) not regular ones. I actually prefer regular ones to mechanical ones. (laughs) I find them easier to handle. When you are outside playing, I think uh, the complexity increases with regular ones. Because they may, the the tip may break, and then you have another issue. Anyway, that was that was a simple one. Let's move on to perhaps the most essential one: dice. Either as a GM or a player, you do need dice. Of course, you're some might say I'm playing a system that doesn't have dice, but I mean we're going for the general population here. I mean, you could even say bring your resolution mechanic 
It yeah. can be dice, it can be um, playing cards, it could be tarot cards. You need your resolution mechanic. Yeah, most of the time I think players should bring their own. Not should, but you know, it's good to have a set of dice for yourself. Usually the GM has a bit more because <laughs> he has to roll more stuff and also some GMs have a particular obsession with dice. Who are you referring to? <laughs> yeah, I I'm gonna admit I have a lot of dice, but you know what? I like bringing a lot of sets to the sessions so people can choose. I have also gifted some of my players dice and I'm always so happy when I see them bring their own set that I have gifted them to the session. It's This makes me happy. I mean, I think I have a lot of dice as well. Some people might say that it's not at all all that much compared to others, but for me it's more than enough. And I've stopped buying new ones because I generally use the same set over and over. I like the transparent ones. Usually those are my favorites. Those are the ones I play with. I have in front of me now a red set, transparent, translucent, actually. Ooh. Well, I follow the discipline of Dune, like... The spice must flow, the dice must flow. So when I get the opportunity, I grab a new set. Anyway, I mean... Not much else to say about this. Theoretically, you don't need more dice than the number of your players plus two, let's say. Yeah. Now, in terms of digital, you could have a dice roller. Yeah. But that's, I think, mostly when you play online. When you play in real life, I think that dice rollers, uh, they're... Sort of superfluous. Personally, I don't like them. I they make me they make me feel sick, <laughs> my stomach. I mean, even when we, when we are playing online, if my players have dice, I tell them just roll dice. I don't care. I because I trust my players that they're not going to cheat. And even if they cheat, it's their loss anyway. But my players don't cheat. Period. I don't mind them, but you know, it's something special to roll the dice physically. Yes. So let's see, what's the next item in our list? Hmm, okay, another obvious one, it's the character sheet. I mean, all players have to have their character sheet with them, either in physical form or in digital form. You need to have it in order to play. You need to have your character. Now, what may be a bit controversial here, depends on how you take it, is that the GM could also have a copy of the player's character sheet. Now, I believe that's a good idea because it helps them mm, in two ways. The first one is more of a mechanical one. It helps with encounter building to have a bit more balance, even though balance is a construct. <laughs> Let's... Anyway, but it helps you at least gauge how difficult an encounter is going to be. Another reason you, the GM may need the character sheet uh, is for the background of the characters, their, uh, their backstory, their flaws. This helps the GM create a story that incorporates parts of the parts of the character's character <laughs> into it. And this makes the players feel more immersed and care more about the game. And there's always the option as well that the players are very forgetful, so the GM is tasked with safeguarding their character sheets so they don't lose them. <laughs> yeah, unless the GM is also forgetful, 
and ends up forgetting the character sheet of the players back at home. True story. I think I have forgotten a character sheet once. But yeah, this can be solved if there is an, a digital copy. Again, yes, that's why I like digital. You can always have access to it. For example, I keep almost all the information of my characters or campaigns or whatever in Google Docs. And wherever you go, if you have internet connection, which I will assume if you do, you can instantly access whatever you're looking for. But I do like having also a physical character sheet as well. Yeah, it's it's nice. I, I like having a character sheet in physical form. It's It feels nice. I'm not, I can't really explain it better. Next on the list, we have something more vague, let's say, more general, and it's notes. What sort of notes? All sorts of notes. Let's start with the players. Players, obviously, they need to take notes of the campaign story. What happened? Who did fight? Who did we talk to? What did they say? What are we looking for? All that stuff. And, you know, there are a lot of memes about players taking notes that are incomprehensible after a day. But, (laughs) you know, it still has to happen. As a player, you absolutely need to, unless you have, like, a perfect memory, for the reasons I just mentioned. Especially if you play with larger breaks between each session. I know that most people can't actually play every week. If you play, like, once a month or once every two weeks, by the time you play again, you've probably forgotten a lot of stuff. And besides that, there's also a way to feel more immersed in the game. Like, you're actually part of this world. Especially if you take notes in a more, let's say, role-playing way. Like, if you keep a journal from the perspective of your character or something like that. And they also show your GM that you actually care about the game. You are interested in what's going on. Which I think is something important. Something that you should keep in mind. I mean, personally as a GM, when I see my players taking notes, I feel uh, a fuzzy feeling inside. It makes me really happy to see players taking notes or in the next session asking them, so what what happened uh, last session? And they open the notebooks or what wherever they keep their notes and say, so we did this and this, we talked to this NPC, and then we visit this shop. And I'm like, wow, and I'm happy. And since I mentioned GMs, let's see, why would GMs want notes? Actually, you need your campaign notes, because when you're preparing uh, when you're preparing a session, you need the notes for the session, some overarching notes for the campaign, because even if you're running a published campaign, you can't really have all the information you need in front of you. You're going to flip through a lot of pages, and I've done that, and it isn't very helpful. So, making some condensed notes to have in front of you helps a lot. Also, use your player's notes. Sometimes you forget to take note of something and they may have done it. So you check out the notes of your players to remember some things. I've done it because shout out to Nicole again because she takes amazing notes of the campaigns and I really, really end up using those notes. They help me a lot. And also you get to see the perspective of the players because you have a situation in your mind but the players may see it differently. And that could be interesting. And also- Also, I think that something that might seem a bit controversial to some people because it might seem like you're trying to railroad the players, but reading their notes 
can give you a hint of how to help them out, how to nudge them in a specific direction because they might have completely overlooked something that you thought was an obvious tip or an obvious hint. As much as I like, you know, free play and characters being able to choose to do whatever they want, sometimes you have to stealthily send them in a specific place and if they don't actually know or they missed everything you were saying about that, you need a way to push them back into that direction. Now that you mentioned hot takes, I mean, another reason people may not want to share their notes with the GM is because they may have a secret from the GM. It's like, let's surprise the GM by doing something. Well, I think now that we're getting into something that we should talk about in the other episode about GM and player interactions and stuff, but in general, I think if you try to hide things from your GM, then both the players and the GM end up being surprised and not in a good way. You should try to cooperate with your GM and obviously the GM needs to try to cooperate with their players. Uh, I don't like when I see people saying that, you know, the GM is not exactly against the players although I have seen that perspective as well that the GM is the enemy and he has to try to kill the players uh, as much as possible but the GM and the players sort of have separate goals I don't think that's true I think that both the GM and the players have the same goal play a specific story exactly specific in the sense that it's already written out but a story that both of them participate in and have fun obviously. But I do think that having a not exactly agreed upon story, but you get what I mean, that's important so that everyone can have fun. Exactly. That's why I think that a little bit of railroading is good to keep everyone in that sort of space where the players aren't completely railroaded and doing what the GM wants. They're not leaving the GM's personal story, but also the GM doesn't have to, you know, scramble and completely ignore all the work he did for the players and, you know, trying to find what to do with some random detail. (laughs) The players suddenly got obsessed with. And that's what I have to say. Thank you for your time. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. Uh, let's see what's next in the in the list. I think to note a small break. I think to note is that in order to discuss these items, we had to condense them into bigger categories. So they're not exactly a checklist, but hopefully the actual checklist will make more sense. And I say that because next in the checklist of the podcast is reference material and this is a huge category and both the player and the GM needs reference material and this is separate from the notes because in terms of notes we were mostly talking about uh, the story and the role-playing aspects when we're talking about reference material we're mostly talking about mechanics exactly so for example the players need uh, a reference of uh, the rules regarding the character so for example how does rage work how does the sorcery points work you don't need to flip through the handbook because you don't necessarily have a handbook yourself and you may need to share one or two books for with all the table and this takes time and for the same reason spell casting classes may need a reference for their spells this could be spell cards which is quite handy i have um, i had a lot of success giving spell cards to new players who wanted to play a spell casting class 
because it was in a much more compact and practical to use the spells and see them instead of flipping through the handbook and flipping and flipping and flipping and that took time. And apart from the spell cards, you can actually just have a printed piece of paper with the spells on it. You don't need to go fancy. You just need your spells all together in a place. Or to go back to the digital thing, there are plenty of sites that have, uh, you can search the spells instantly and they really help with finding out what the spell does. It still it still requires a bit of search, but it's less than flipping through the book, yeah. Also, new players may feel a bit anxious about asking stuff, and if you have all the rules in front of them, they may need to ask something more specific than just asking, how do I do that? Even though I tell them, just ask me, there is no problem, it may, it may make them feel more relaxed. And as for the GM, the list of reference material is quite longer. We have books, because I really like taking books with me. I go for the Holy Trinity of the Player's Handbook, the Master Manual and the Dungeon Master's Guide, even though, I mean, the, some of them could be condensed into smaller, shorter parts, so shorter notes, but I tend to bring those books with me. Then, if I'm running a published adventure, I usually bring the book with me as well. I like it, because I may not have enough notes, I may have missed a detail, and sometimes I fudge it, sometimes I check the notes of the book. Mm, now, <laughs> this is a bit controversial, but uh, another item is the dim screen. Now, there are very many reasons why you could use a dim screen, and many reasons why you don't need a dim screen. Personally, I like it. Me too. Yeah, I like it. Not for hiding my roles or something, I just like it. <laughs> it's a nice accessory, let's say. Also, depending on which screen you have, you may have some nice uh, tables and some nice information in front of you. For example, conditions, which is something I always forget, and it's also something I, I don't need to remember because it's always right in front of my eyes on the DM screen, so I remember it. But yeah, this, uh, this could be a whole uh, podcast episode of uh, why yes and why no, but it's my checklist I'm gonna put the DM screen in it. <laughs> uh, moving on, we have random tables. This is a whole group, because we have random tables, ready encounters, ready NPCs, ready monsters. It's a whole uh, group of material that is prepared, so you can use it at a moment's notice. They may not be part of the campaign, but it's there for you to use when you need it. And even simpler stuff like, you know, NPC names, not just full NPCs, just their names. Or uh, loot tables, or stuff like that. Exactly. Because this falls back to the have prepared notes from the DMG. Oh, everything we said right now is in the DMG, but instead of flipping through it, you can have a list of stuff, table for loot, a table for names, and also you ha I, I also like having prepared uh, places, like inns, maybe a dungeon, small things like that, that can be used as a filler when necessary. And again, coming back to digital, 
I think something that's not exactly tied to that, but a problem I have noticed with myself when I'm going fully digital is that at a certain point, it actually gets more cumbersome because you have like 15 tabs open in your browser and by that time you get lost. So, and I'm saying this specifically because now that we're talking about random tables and prepare stuff, if you have a tab open for your NPCs, a tab for your month, a tab for the spells, a tab for the loot, tab for your notes, a tab for whatever else. I think it helps to have half of the stuff digital, half of the stuff physical. So you can have your notes that you can easily edit in a digital form and you can have like your monsters and stuff that you can uh, flip around in paper. I am a big proponent of digital but in moderation. Oh, also, you don't really have to prepare this yourself. There's a ton of ready stuff on the DMs Guild, on DriveRPG, on uh, creators' websites. And also, I want to mention litrpgadventures.com. I'm gonna write about this platform. It uh, uses AI to generate various stuff, cities, backstories, quests. I, I have been using it, I was... Uh, contacted to to check it out and it's actually quite fun because it runs an AI on the back end and it's not just too generic it's it's it makes it a bit different it makes it unique and you should you should check it out actually it's it's fun at least I haven't used it in a game but I mean I have generated the city I have generated some backgrounds and you can actually choose the style backstory is written in. You can choose a writer, for example, you can uh, choose Salvatore or Greenwood. That is possible because of the AI. But anyway, let's move on. And what do we have next? Next we have hmm. props. Again, a huge category. And something that doesn't apply to everyone. I think all the previous categories, everyone was using like character sheets, notes. Props are something that aren't as widespread, let's say. I mean, I'm not actually sure. So do tell us if you use props in your games. And by props, what do we mean? Well, to be honest, props is a very, very broad term because we have actually included minis in it. And if you're playing online, for example, even though we're not talking about online, if you're playing online, you have those digital tokens, which is kind of like a mini. But yeah, for example, players can bring their minis. The GM doesn't necessarily have to have the minis. There could be someone else who collects them and just brings them to the game to be used. And also players could have some items. Could It, it could be character items, some personal items of characters like ones and stuff. But also I have seen those, uh, how do you call them, healing potions, which is like bottles that have uh, dice in it. Small stuff like that. I think one time I had uh, brought a foam sword for no, <laughs> for no reason at all but I brought it <laughs> but let's move to the GM part of the checklist what does a GM bring when it comes to props again minis if you actually play with those you know minis of monsters NPCs that sort of thing we already talked about those but another big th you could also actually bring terrain yes and uh, if I remember correctly your brother has made some really really awesome terrain pieces yeah he made those for uh, warhammer 40k we still have them in a box somewhere around here also your brother made a water purification plant using a pump from an aquarium yes indeed moving forward terrain yes i'm curious how many of you actually use terrain and i mean actual terrain like 3d stuff trees hills buildings all of that 
there is a Dwarven Forge, if I remember correctly, which makes a ton of terrain. Yes, but connected to the terrain is the concept of maps. And with the maps comes the question of do you actually use maps and terrain or do you use theater of the mind? And maps can be used for both. Yes, that's true. But uh, in general, specifically for terrain, if you have terrain, you most likely use it with minis and actual... With a grid. Yes, the grid, exactly. But yeah, you can also use maps for reference, which is usually what I do. We don't really play with minis, but since I like drawing maps, I like bringing some to the games when possible. Or I just uh, get a piece of paper and hastily draw the area you are in, which counts as a map, but not a map I'd bring home. I'll just scramble the paper and leave it on the table of where we played. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not proud of the, those maps. I mean, they, they do their job just fine, and that's what's important. Yeah. Finally, we have, we call it art, but it's not exactly art. It's more like a visual reference material, like maps, but not maps, everything else. So like, and yeah, items, NPC portraits, monsters. I don't really bring these uh, as separate pieces. I just use the monster manual and first describe the monster. And then after a few turns, I show the monster to you, show the NPC to you and the items. Yeah, although again, there are some very nice sources online. For example, I remember that I once used some uh, pieces of art from the imaginary subreddit catalog. There are like few subreddits like imaginary monsters, imaginary wizards, stuff like that. And they have a lot of great art that you can use as long as you credit the artist, of course. But there is obviously a ton of art online that you can find, which can really help your players have a bit more fun. It's nice to have a visual aid. And finally, I think the most important material component for a session is the snacks. Snacks or food or drink or whatever. Yeah, you could have a whole conversation about this. Because different groups prefer different things. Others just drink uh, alcohol. Others just drink coffee. They don't eat. Others hold uh, feasts. Others just get some snacks. I think everyone agrees that don't eat stuff that can damage the rest of the material components. Or at least wash your hands after you consume said uh, snack. Now, the logistics behind this, yeah, it, it's vast. I mean, does the host of the session provide the snacks? Does everyone else bring snacks? We usually, usually, I don't know, now with the pandemic, <laughs> it's been quite some time. We, we used to go outside to cafes and other places to play, so we could order from there. And even when we played at uh, my or your place, we or Nicole's place, we used to order. So, I think that's about it for material components, as you call them. I am curious if we missed anything. Feel free to comment. Yeah, I'm really curious if we have forgotten anything or if you have a very special material component. Especially, as I said, about terrain and maps and theater of the mind versus grid. That's something I'm very interested to see what other people think, how they play. Also, as I said, digital versus physical. What do you prefer? Do you exclusively use paper? Do you exclusively use computers? I mean, now with the pandemic again, most people transition to online. So online is 
de facto digital, but yeah. I, you know, that's not necessarily true because when I run sessions, I tend to use the books, the physical books. I keep my notes on paper. So yeah, I believe that the majority of online play is digital. How should I say? The secondary logistics are digital. But yeah, I think there is some, <laughs> there are some people who like true. <laughs> analog, analog online play. <laughs> So yeah, that's it for our main topic of the episode. And that's all for today's episode. I hope you found something interesting or something new to add to your checklist. It's been a while since we released an episode, but now we'll try to get back into into a rhythm, let's say, into a schedule. Even though... We tried, by my, but my computer just decided to die. Yep. Why does it happen? Why does this happen? I don't know. The cruel mistress of random chance. It's like having the deck of many things in um, a modern day setting. Like your computer breaks. And it's like, no, <laughs> my life is destroyed. <laughs> Except there are only negative cards you can draw. Yeah, like... The internet goes down. <laughs> Absolute horror. Like some time ago when just Google went offline for a bit and everyone went into panic. <laughs> yep. Anyway, thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. This has been the Keynesian podcast. And until next time, have fun. Have fun. <laughs>